Lent is a time to remember the suffering Jesus endured to pay for our sins. In John 19, verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. After Jesus died, soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men who were crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. For these things came to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken. Then Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. And they bound his body in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Jesus rose from the dead and remained on earth after his resurrection for 40 days, according to Acts 1.3. During this time, he appeared and spoke to many people, including his disciples, the women, and once to 500 people at once. Join us today for the Family Shield Easter special. My guest is Reverend Doug Gribbenau, the mission advocate for KFUO and the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Reverend Gribbenau, for being our guest today on Family Shield. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, we are so happy to have you. Before we talk about the Gospel of John and what it says about the the death of Christ and the resurrection, tell us about your family and share one way that you and your wife helped your children learn about Lent. Well, certainly. Uh, I, uh, I'm married to a beautiful and wonderful mother of our two kids. Uh, her name is Holly, and my, my eldest son is Leo, and his little brother is Sam, and they're about six and three, uh, just shy of each of those ages. Uh, little rockets that they are. <laughs> and, you know, I have to say that um, part of our learning with Lent, at least for them, Lent and Advent sort of mean the same thing. It means a lot of extra church. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> I think if, if Leo, my, my older one, uh, had his wits about him, he'd say, I'd like to give up church for Lent, right? <laughs> <laughs> because by the end of, of these 40 days, uh, he, he's kind of churched out, and he is ready to, uh, to have a, a, a day off. But part of the, the, the most important teaching with Lent is to avoid the sense of, of legalism, that this is a, a, an obligation, that something we must do, that you have to give up, uh, and, and this somehow merits something for you. Because that's entirely counter to the gospel, entirely counter to the way that that, uh, that Lutheran theology teaches us to live our lives. But we do practice Lent, and the understanding is that Lent is a way for us to, to walk with Christ. You know, the 40 days he was in the wilderness being tempted uh, after having been baptized by, by John the baptizer, uh, to go out and, and be victorious in all the ways that Israel had failed in their wanderings in the wilderness. And so now these 40 days, as a sort of preparation as we walk towards the cross, is, is meant for us to connect with the experience of, of Christ walking in our shoes. So we, we wear the shoes of him who's put his feet in our own. And part of that may be 
giving up or, or, or laying aside something uh, as, as a discipline, to discipline the flesh, as we sort of say, right? And, but I think probably the more salutary practice is uh, at the same time to pick up something, which is to probably pick up the scriptures, pick up a little more time in the Bible studies, pick up a little more prayer, put more time during your day, during your week, uh, towards the Lord, and, and, and really meditate and marvel at the amazing miracle that he is going to bring forth on, on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday, and that is our, our forgiveness and our, our deliverance from the realm of darkness to be citizens in his wonderful and glorious light. Yes, very good. Thank you so much. Never ask a pastor a short question because you'll get a long answer, right? <laughs> That's all right. That's great. That's great. And blessings uh, for you and your wife and your, your two little ones because uh, those years go so quickly, and it's important that they do. Uh, we take the time to— spend with them. So that's great. Well, during the introduction, I read a portion of the Gospel of John. It talked about the soldiers that broke the legs of the men who were crucified with Jesus. But when they got to Jesus, they saw he was already dead and didn't break his legs. It then mentions the scriptures being fulfilled and says, not a bone of him shall be broken. Why is this prophecy about Christ mentioned in the Gospel of John? And why are prophecies so important? Uh, this, well, the part of the prophecies is a, a validation, uh, evidence that, that Christ truly is the fulfillment of the promise. The promise first made in the garden uh, to Adam and to Eve, that promise of the seed of woman that would crush the serpent's head. And the entirety of the Old Testament is a testimony and a witness of the coming Messiah. And so the, the prophecy from, uh, from the Old Testament concerning his bones is, is with uh, a proof that this is just as God has foreordained and foreknown, that all things took place according to his will, according to his plan and purpose, things that he knew beforehand, which is part of the reason we say that Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. Mm. Because even before God had created and formed Adam and Eve on the sixth day, he knew each of us, and he loved each of us, and he knew that his son would be sent to redeem each of us. Christ knew this as well. And so the whole of the Old Testament then has to come in a fulfillment. Uh, and as these prophecies are one by one, you know, ticked off and fulfilled, then uh, there, there is evidence for man's doubting heart mm -hmm. that this truly is the Messiah, as the Hebrew would say, or, or the Christ, which is the very same word. It just happens to be that's the word in Greek, uh, that, that this is the one who will fulfill the promise. Yeah, the prophecies shared in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, and proof of who Jesus is. It's important. So the Gospel of John also mentions Joseph of Arimathea as a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one. I found that really interesting that it says he was a secret one. 
He asks Pilate if he can take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate grants him that permission. So why was Joseph of Arimathea a disciple in secret, and is he still a secret disciple? You know, I will say that, that we, can, we can do a fair amount of conjecture, but, uh, but St. John really tells us the reason, and the reason is that he was, it was for fear of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Now, we need to sort of unpack that a little bit. Yudioi uh, is the Greek word for it, and in that case, it's really talking about uh, the, the Jewish leadership, the temple leadership, uh, as well as, as the crowds that had been excited and, you know, stirred up. So powerful was the influence of this leadership that, that the crowds called for Barabbas to oh, be released yeah. instead of Jesus. So th- yeah. this was the kind of influence mm-hmm. that was being exercised. And Joseph of Arimathea, um, you know, a disciple of Jesus, but, but a secret one, um, in that he would not have been uh, called out. In fact, some of the synoptics talk about Joseph of Arimathea being a part of the council as well. That's what I thought, yeah. yeah. And, and so he did not go along with this plan, but you know, as it happens in all human institutions, he was outvoted, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. right. And he didn't, he didn't have a filibuster that I guess he could, no. he could go on. But uh, there is also a purpose and a plan for this as well in God's foreknowledge. Joseph of Arimathea had the uh, access to ask Pilate for the body of Christ. A disciple, a known disciple, this would not have been granted Uh for purely political, practical reasons. Pilate would not have wanted any sort of turmoil, any sort of of, um, questioning. And this is also the reason that Pilate is asked by the Jewish leadership to post guards outside the tomb so that they cannot steal the body and say, oh, he's resurrected. So Joseph of Arimathea is able to make that request and to care for our Lord's body and to see that he is buried appropriately. And ultimately then to have the body put in a safe and secure place, watched by the guards so that there is a witness and a testimony to guards to witness and testify Nobody came and stole the body, but the body is gone. Yeah. And wasn't it his tomb as well? Was it his tomb? Yes. There is a little bit of conflicting accounts necessarily, but it, yeah, it, it is spoken of as being his tomb. And also this is uh, then seen as he is the, the rich man, the rich man's tomb in whom our Lord is prophetically said to be buried in the prophecies of the Old Testament. Oh, interesting, interesting. There's so many little tidbits in John, yeah. So the women walk to the tomb before sunrise carrying spices, which they would use in preparation for his burial. And they saw the stones were rolled away and saw two angels. Then they ran to tell the disciples what they had seen. And uh, John and Simon Peter hear this news and run to the tomb to check it out for themselves. In John 20... Uh, Simon Peter enters the tomb first, even though he didn't get there first. I find that interesting. Yeah, it, it's funny how John's, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Yeah, John never calls John, himself. Right, like, oh, both that. of them were running together, right? Mm-hmm. You know, verse 4. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It, it's almost like a, you know, the, they're having this race and they get to the tomb. And, and you know, I can almost sort of say Peter saying, don't you dare tell anyone 
that you that you outran me. <laughs> and and John's probably thinking, oh, uh, everyone's going to know. <laughs> yes. We'll make sure right, everyone right. knows. Oh, but I let gosh. you go in first. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think, too, Simon Peter is very, uh, you know, he, he learns and grows mm-hmm. as he is with Jesus. But he's very he's always running ahead and he doesn't always do things correctly. But in this case, I think that's why he ran into the tomb first. He wasn't afraid. He would Mm -hmm. just, I can't, there's a term for him in the Bible that sometimes you hear kind of a nickname, but I can't think of it right now, but I love both of them. But Simon Peter, I noticed John kept, he never called himself by name in the, in the gospel of John. It's always the disciple Jesus loved. And I noticed that over and over, and I hadn't noticed that before. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Peter really is sort of the, the first among equals. I mean, he tends to just sort of be the the, the leader of the pack. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when there needs to be a confession made, he's the one that pipes up. And sometimes he pipes up without thinking. Yes. You know, <laughs> oh, Jesus, I'll never leave you. Right. The rest of them might fall away, but I will not. You know, so he, but so I think there's also an understanding of sort of deference here. Yeah, even though John got there first, and he's not going to let anyone forget that. But Peter is sort of, he's the, the leader of the pack. Yeah. Peter gets to go in, ah. and then John will go with him. Oh, nice. Nice idea, yeah. Well, I want to make some announcements, and then we'll come back and continue talking about um, the resurrection of Christ and what happened as our time allows. There's so much to share, but uh, it's it's always good to continue to grow and learn. So Family Shield Ministries is composed of Christians who care about families and the gospel, transforming lives now and for eternity. The Family Shield radio program is aired on more than 50 radio stations throughout the United States and on our podcast platforms. We also coordinate other educational and evangelism services that serve individuals and their families. Thanks for listening. This week, we're giving away the booklet, Live the Six, How to Be an Everyday Missionary. To receive your complimentary copy, call the Family Shield Response Center, 1-877-250-8416, or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. We also encourage listeners to sign up to receive the Family Shield email newsletter, To sign up, send your email address to, again, witness2family at gmail.com. Your prayers and support allow Family Shield to continue to reach and equip individuals and their families for Christ. Your support makes our work in the ripe and plentiful harvest possible. Thank you. Now I want to go back to my guest, Reverend Doug Gribbenall, Mission Advocate for KFUO, uh, a ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. And um, thank you so much for joining us today. Just uh, just a minute for a minute. Tell our listeners what the mission advocate for KFUO does. Of course, mission advocate is well. There's partly this time of trying to figure out a title, right, to describe the work that that you've been called to do. And mission advocate is a, an existing title that that you know my predecessor uh, had had utilized. And I thought, actually, on reflection, this was fairly fitting, to advocate for the mission, uh, to be the one that goes forth to tell people of the work that KFUO is doing. And that really is driven at proclaiming Christ, mm-hmm. him crucified, and the forgiveness we have you know, to all corners of the earth, you know, beginning from 
well, our radio tower in Clayton, not from Jerusalem as it was for the, for the <laughs> yes. uh, disciples. But the, the point is for KFUO to augment the faith life of the Christians as we come to receive word and sacrament on Sundays, then Monday through Saturday, KFUO is there to support your daily vocations with, with you know, orthodox, that is sound Bible teaching, with worship services, and, and with God's word set to song. Music that that nourishes us in our in our in our ears, our minds, our hearts as we go out and and work in those hands. But the other benefit is, with our programs that engage with pastors throughout our church body, is it helps to bring our churches closer together and build that family relationship we have, not just within the walls of our church but across our entire synod, mm-hmm. and to showcase and share the things that that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is doing to bring Christ into a a world that's in desperate need of his healing love. Absolutely. Thank you so much for what you're doing. It's so important. God's blessings. So one quick question. Uh, As I talked about them coming into the tomb in John 20, uh, as Simon Peter enters the tomb, he beheld the linen wrappings laying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now, I have personally never understood why the Bible mentions that. I think it's the only one of the Gospels that do mention it. Why is the face cloth mentioned in John 20? Well, I'll I'll give you the short and and not theological answer. It's because Jesus is a morning person. Uh, I get up and my pajamas are tossed on the bed. My my covers are never pulled up. You know, I don't take the time to fold anything. <laughs> but now the theological answer is that Jesus was not in a hurry. Everything was done according to the plan. And he he took the time to set the cloth and fold it, leave everything in order. But more than this, it was an affirmation that there was no grave robbery. Even if the guards had fallen asleep and they lied about it, thieves and robbers would have come in and taken what was valuable. They would have taken the, the, the aloe, the myrrh, the spices. They would not have taken the time to fold a cloth and set it nicely. Mm-hmm. It would have been a smash and grab operation. So this is, is evidence again that this is all just as it should be, the fulfillment of prophecy. And, and quite honestly, Jesus you know, learned from his mom Clean your room, make your bed before you get up. Yeah, and he probably did. That's right. (laughs) Well, I never thought about that. That's that's a great point, though, about not a grave robber. And what I was thinking is, well, that would have been in today's world. That would the face cloth would have been important because we know today it'd be valuable. But back then they wouldn't have known that. That's right. Oh, the relic and and all the indulgences we could buy, right? (laughs) (laughs) We they wouldn't have known that back then, so that wouldn't have been part of it. But I like that. Thank you so much. That's important. So let's talk about some of the people who saw Jesus after the resurrection. And I'm going to just let you pick because our time's going to fly. So who do you want to share? You know, I think Thomas. Unbelieving Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, but Unbelieving Thomas, because I identify with Thomas so much. Before I went to seminary in my undergrad, I was an electrical engineering, computer science major for three years. I discovered I liked working with people, so I got my degree in communications. I worked in the nonprofit and fundraising world for 10 years. And one of those hang-ups I have is 
I like to be seen as smart. <laughs> and the world looks at Christians and says, you believe in these myths, these fairy tales, this sky daddy. You, know, you, you don't have the mental acumen to deal with reality. And so it is such a hard thing for me to hold to and confess these things which we cannot know and these things that are absolutely miraculous, the things that defy human reason and logic. And, and so when, when Thomas says, you know, unless I can touch him, unless I can put my hands in these wounds, I need the empirical evidence. I'm not going to believe. And, and so Thomas says what my sinful heart wants to say as well, right? And I love that, that Jesus isn't there physically, you know, standing with the disciples. But when he shows up again to the apostles and to Thomas, he knows exactly what was on Thomas's mind. He says, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hands there. Place it in my side. Do not be disbelieving, but believing. And part of me wants to say, I'd love to go back and be able to do that. You know, you have that empirical proof. And that's where his final words to Thomas struck me to the quick. And as a kid, I thought this was such a cruel condemnation of Thomas. But I've come to see it as a beautiful promise to us. Mm-hmm. See, Thomas answers in verse 28, chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, as a kid, I thought, if, if these other people are blessed, then what's Thomas, right? You know, he's, he's putting Thomas down. He's saying, oh, you, you knucklehead, you couldn't believe without seeing me. Well, you aren't really worth my time. That's what a kid hears, and that's what I heard as a youth. And I always thought that because I identified with Thomas and felt that, that, that I was getting some sort of condemnation from Christ. But that's not what he says, and that's important to realize. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It is not a condemnation of Thomas. It is a blessing spoken to us, we who are far off, mm-hmm. who have to believe by the witness and the testimony of Scripture. Yeah. The blessing is for us that we may believe in spite of what our sinful flesh and our human intellect says. And, and we have his blessing for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Yes, I've always loved Thomas, too. And, and I think... Everybody feels that way. You want proof. And they tell us there is more proof in God's Word if people just knew what it said and understood what it said. Uh, Because, as you just mentioned about the the, uh, face cloth and that there was no grave robbery. robbery. Yeah. Yeah. No one stole the body. There's so much there. And the prophecies that are predicted in the Mm -hmm. Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, there is, and then all these eyewitnesses um, and all of those witnesses that we can learn and grow. And the Holy Spirit works through his word. So we need to be reading his word and asking questions when we don't. What does this mean? Yeah, what does this mean? Absolutely. So wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing, Thomas. There are many others in uh, God's Word. Um, One that we don't know much about is from 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that talks about 
there were 500 people that saw him at once. And that's really, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, a, it's a proclamation of what the gospel is, which I love. And then at the end, there's just, I think it's Paul that's writing that then. But anyway, 500 people at once. And, uh, you know, when we think about that, that's a whole church. That's a big church. That's a big full church. Full of people yeah. that saw him at one time. Some, it says, had died and mm-hmm. some were still alive. But you just think about that. No wonder they were able to turn the world upside down because it's all about the fact that Jesus not only suffered and died for our sins, he was resurrected. He was dead. They knew it. They saw him dead, and now he's alive. How awesome and wonderful. But that was the turning point for the disciples, wasn't it? Well, and and it was not even so—well, I want to actually maybe back it up. I think the turning point for the disciples— is is in his in his meal with them, and it, it's at Passover. It's well, his meal with them on the road. I always oh, think of the the Emmaus oh, disciples, Emmaus. or when Jesus appears to them on the side of the the shore, and he has fish for breakfast, yeah. which yeah. I wouldn't actually think I might ever do myself. But he's making them fish for breakfast. Yes. He says, "Come yes. over and eat." I'm a living, breathing, flesh and blood human being, resurrected from the dead, and I'm going to eat with you. It's the breaking of the bread. Uh, and that was, it was when he was walking with the disciples, their eyes were closed. They didn't know who he was. He asked them and he walks them through all of Holy Scripture, which is at that point in time, the Old Testament, that everything is pointing to him. And then they sit down and they eat together and they realize who he is. Did our hearts not burn with us? Oh. It was in the breaking of the bread. Yes. It is, in, it is in that that they see who he is. And for us, that is where we have our most intimate encounter with Christ yes. is at the table. Absolutely. The altar. Absolutely. Well, there's so much more we could talk about, but we have less than two minutes left. But let me just, uh, the, the Bible verse, I had it here, Luke 24, 36 to 43. In our resurrection quiz that I put together years ago for families, I have that available. If anybody wants to ask, we can send it to you, just the questions. And then I have a, a copy with questions and answers. And we just encourage you to use one question a day for a devotion with your children. And it's focused on the resurrected Christ. But in that verse, it talks about him uh, uh, making food for the disciples and, uh, and just that, that la- one of those last encounters he had with some of his disciples. There's so many wonderful stories, but we don't have enough time to continue. I'm going to have to have you back. And, yeah. uh, and uh, we will uh, again... Um, I want to wish our listeners a blessed Easter and uh, say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We're so thankful that you've been listening. My guest again has been Reverend Doug Gribbenal, the mission advocate for KFUO Radio, uh, sponsored by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate. We're thankful he's here, and we're thankful you've been able to listen. We pray you have a wonderful week and blessings to you and your families. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in his word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com. 
or Wright Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Thank you.